Welcome to Fracking and Health, Ask an Expert. The Endocrine Disruption Exchange has been studying the health impacts from unconventional oil and gas development, also known as fracking, since 2004. In each episode, our Executive Director, Carol Kwiatkowski, asks an expert to answer a question on how fracking may affect your health. You can submit a question at TEDx.org. Welcome to episode 14, where we ask, what do biocides have to do with fracking? I'm talking today with Dr. Thomas Borch, professor in the Department of Soil and Crop Sciences at Colorado State University. He's an internationally recognized authority on soil and water contaminants and is currently studying the potential environmental impacts of energy production, including fracking. Welcome, Dr. Borch. Thank you very much. So our first question is, what are biocides and why are they used in fracking? That's a great question. So in, in general, the biocides used uh, for hydraulic fracturing is also being used in many other industries, including you know, um, the food industry for preservation of food, healthcare, and others. And so for example, the most commonly used biocide glutaldehyde um, is, is used not only in oil and gas, but also, for example, for disinfection in hospitals um, for cleaning of equipment. The uses of biocides in the oil and gas industry is primarily for, um, for, the, for the reason to kill sulfate-reducing bacteria. The reason why they want to kill these sulfate-reducing bacteria is that the bacteria causes biofouling. And so that means basically that a lot of slime is being produced that can limit oil and gas production. The biocides are also being used to prevent uh, toxic gases from being formed, such as uh, hydrogen sulfide gas. And then most importantly, um, biocides are being used to prevent corrosion of steel pipes and equipment. And so those are some of the primary uses. Some of the um, most commonly used biocides beyond glutaldehyde, that are probably, glutaldehyde is probably being used for about 30% um, of all frag jobs. There are other uh, chemicals used for um, disinfection, such as dibromo, nitrilo, propioamide, which is used uh, for about 25% of all frac jobs. Um, and then there's something referred to as DDAC, or D-disol, dimethyl ammonium chloride, which is used for about 8%. And so, so a lot of these biocides are being used, and they're being used sometimes in rather high concentrations, up to about 500 milligrams per liter and I think the concentration needs to be put in perspective, in perspective how much water is actually being used per well. And so if you think about how much water is being used per well, and that about maybe less than a percent of it is, is, is biocide, it, it still amounts to about 1,000 gallons of biocides per, per well. How does your lab study biocides in relation to fracking? So in my laboratory over the last about six years. We started out very early on trying to develop analytical methods that can be used to analyze the complex mixture of chemicals that return with the flow back and produced water. So all the, all the water that comes back to the surface after the hydraulic fracturing has taken place. So for example, you might inject uh, as a, a biocide, but that biocide under downhole conditions, high temperature and, and high pressure might transform into other metabolites, other transformation products that are still potentially toxic. And so 
if these toxic intermediates are returning to the surface, you will only see them when you analyze them if you know um, what to look for. When we think about um, and, and, and investigate the fate of these biocides under downhole conditions, what my studies have shown is that some of the biocides, they never return with a flow back of produced water. They stay downhole because they might bind to the shale. Some of them might come back, especially if you have colder um, shales um, with, 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 low, with, with high salt concentrations. Um, other biocides might transform and come back as intermediates. Um, and that information is extremely important in order to develop predictive tools or, or develop um, appropriate treatment methods. We have also um, done a lot of work related to, to uh, understanding the toxicity of the flow back and produced water. And so in order to understand the, the actual toxicity of, of the biocides and all the other contaminants that are returning to the surface, we often uh, use bioassays. And I think it's very important to not only do chemical analysis, but also do using toxicity assays in order to get a, a better understanding of the real um, composition and toxicity of this water. Recently, we have been studying um, spills, you know, related to hydraulic fracturing. So we have been simulating spills in a laboratory where we have been looking at um, the, the, both the fate and the transport of biocides. And, and we have been looking at how co-contaminants such as salt and surfactants might impact this fate and transport. And um, one of the big findings is that, of course, um, if you have biocides in your mixture, um, eventually they will be biodegraded. But if you have very high salt concentrations, that might delay biodegradation of biocides. At the same time, biocides can delay the degradation of other contaminants. So it's really important to understand all the different constituents that, that are present in a spill in order to determine how long it will take for the contaminants to biodegrade. And then very, very uh, recently, we have been looking at some much bigger studies where we've been looking at watershed scale impacts from surface water disposal of oil and gas wastewater both in Pennsylvania and in Wyoming. And here we're looking at basically the impact of, of minimally treated water as it enters surface waters from the perspective of uh, whether this water still contains biocides and other contaminants that might um, accumulate in sediments or in surface waters. And the very, very last project that we have, um, initiated in my lab is a study related to uh, using treated produced water for crop irrigation. There's a lot of interest right now in uh, reusing all of the water instead of taking all that wastewater and re-inject it into deep wells. And so the, 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 both the government and the industry are now trying to find out how much they need to treat the water in order to be able to sustainable reuse this water for even drinking water, or crop irrigation, or, or maybe reuse it for another hydraulic fracturing job. So that's, that's a short overview of some of the projects that we're working on. So given all that you've studied, what do you see as the environmental or health risks associated with biocide use? That's a good question. And, you know, in general, there's not been a lot of health risk associated studies conducted on this subject. So there's still a lot 
that we don't know. Now, um, with respect to biocides, um, I'm not too concerned in general about direct human uh, exposure to these, these biocides. However, some of the routes by which humans and ecosystems could be exposed to biocides are via spills. Spills is certainly, accidental spills happens all the time. And um, when you have a big spill, there is the potential for biocides entering groundwater or surface water and in, you know, indirectly uh, maybe be um, of concern for human health. Um, another way by which we, we might be influenced by antimicrobial use in industry is if we don't treat the wastewater properly, we could have low concentration of antimicrobials entering the environment. And, um, and that's certainly uh, not good, especially from the perspective of developing um, or producing antimicrobial resistant genes, the big hot topic at the moment. So basically the spread of antimicrobial resistant genes could prevent us from you know, being um, treated as antimicrobials in the future. Um, and so that's certainly an indirect threat, I think. Um, another thing is that um, the, the hydraulic factoring or the oil and gas industry, they like to reuse the water that is, that is coming up via flowback and produced water. But if you repeatedly treat this water with antimicrobials, the microbes in this water might also uh, develop antimicrobial resistance, which means that if you use that water in an R-frac job, you might not be able to treat the water, the antimicrobials, if the microbes have developed resistance to these biocides. Um, so again, in general, not a lot known with respect to the direct human health risk. Um, I personally, you know, uh, I'm mostly worried about big spills. And then I'm also maybe a little bit worried about low concentrations of antimicrobials entering the environment from the perspective of developing or producing these antimicrobial resistant genes. Are there things that nonprofits can do to help address the risks that you see? I think, I think nonprofits could have a tremendous uh, and very important role um, with respect to this topic. Um, the, first of all, um, you know, Nonprofits, they can help, you know, mediate conversations, you know, between the public, universities, industry, and government, and those help find solutions to some of these issues. Obviously, the nonprofits, and we see that more and more, that nonprofits, they go in and help sponsor research, um, and are often looked at, at as, a, as an unbiased broker, you know, which is very important. And again, I think non, nonprofits, can, can, can really help out a lot, you know, by, by becoming a mediator um, between all these interest groups or stakeholders. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate all the work you do and taking time to tell us about it. Thank you very much. TEDx is a nonprofit research institute funded by grants from private foundations and by donations from individuals like you who care about our health and the environment. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider making a tax-deductible gift to TEDx so we can continue bringing you the most up-to-date scientific information on the impacts of fracking on your health. Please visit our website at tedx.org for more information on what we do, to submit a question for an expert, or to make a donation. 
And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.